Hi, this is Jan Miyazaki, the host of the Wednesday 8 o'clock buzz. Thank you for tuning into WORT. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a donation at wortfm.org slash donate. After 8 and Dave, that music's uh, beautiful Ricky Lee Jones. Um, joining me is Denise Jess. She's the executive director of the Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And uh, every seven minutes, someone in America will become blind or visually impaired. Vision loss can occur at any age, but as the population ages, age-related eye disease will increase through so diseases such as macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, and the glaucoma. The Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired works to promote the dignity and empowerment of people in Wisconsin who live with vision loss through advocacy, education, and vision services, and they are a member agency of Community Shares Wisconsin. Hey, good morning, Denise. It's just always great to have you on the on Buzz. Good morning. And good morning, Jan. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so for folks who, who um, haven't, aren't familiar with your organization, or just for a refresher, can you tell folks about the history of your group? Yeah, sure. So um, thanks for naming our mission of promoting the dignity and empowerment of people living with vision loss. For us, that is really critical um, because often people with blindness are um, marginalized in our society and seen as less than. And so our organization was founded in 1952 by people with blindness and vision loss. Um, and um, so that, that mission is central to our, our founders um, and really realized that a lot of what needed to happen initially um, existed in the public policy sector, um, that there were barriers built into um, our laws that prohibited um, those of us with blindness from you know, really reaching our full potential. And so that was the start of our work was public policy advocacy, and it remained central. And then we you know, recognized over the years the value of greater education for bias reduction and then teaching people the skills of blindness, particularly folks who acquire blindness later in life. There's a whole skill set to be able to live one's life with the quality that one desires. The um, and and then you have these very specific vision services. Can you talk about those? And then we're going to circle back to the other issues. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the vision services that we offer is um, uh, vision rehabilitation, and what that service does is really helps people learn um, basic daily living skills. So, you know, think about all the things you do during the day where you un- probably quite unconsciously use your, use your vision. So, you know, measuring um, liquids and solids when you're cooking or watching those little um, balls of oil start to dance on the pan so you know it's hot enough or taking your medication safely, making sure you've got the right bottle and the right dosage, um, making sure that your clothes match, you know, all of those things we believe are reliant on vision, but really we can develop other um, skills to be able to do those daily living activities. So really critical to learn those. Um, Orientation and mobility is another um, one of our more recently added services and is very popular. It's learning how to navigate 
our internal and um, outside world um, without sight or with more limited sight. So learning how to use a white cane is part of that. Learning how to listen for sound in the built environment is part of that. Learning to really feel the textures um, underneath your feet. Um, you know, so learning those navigation skills so that you're not stuck at home and afraid to go um, outside. Um, learning access technology. So, you know, how do we how do we navigate the computer? How do we navigate our cell phones um, using the technologies that are there? And what do we do when we come up to a barrier that something wasn't built accessibly? How do how do we navigate around um, or through that barrier? And then the last thing that we offer is low vision um, evaluations, which help people understand how to really capitalize on their existing vision through light and contrast. And we have a, a really awesome store, which I always hope people just stop in and visit us because the store is filled with um, adaptive devices and equipment, you know, simple things like putting a little dot, um, bump dot on your microwave to know where the start button is, all the way up to higher end things like digital um, magnifiers. So yeah, that in, in a nutshell, that's um, our vision services. Now you're a statewide organization, right? We are. And so, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, since COVID, are you, out, are you able to do the low vision fairs, or is that something that's now more online? Or Yeah, so, you know, COVID, while we sure wish it hadn't happened, <laughs> um, it, it taught us, we, we really chose to focus on COVID as a learning opportunity to help us think about how could we do our work differently. And so um, we moved our low vision support groups or our vision loss support groups online. And we offer two of those now. There's a general one um, for any adult who'd like to join. And then there's one that's really much more geared towards college and working age folks. And we've got people from all over the state and sometimes, you know, other parts of the United States. And we had a member from Poland um, who, are, who are able to access those um, support groups. Um, we have um, the capability of doing access technology training remotely, and so we can offer that anywhere in the state. Um, we, you know, we do online education webinars, and our advocacy efforts can also, you know, happen online. And so it, it, we, we, we really hunkered in and said, what has COVID taught us um, that we can still do our work? And then what do we want to maintain from that going forward? Because it helps us to do our work more inclusively. And I, I want to direct people to the Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired website because the educational pieces are, and the visual um, a store uh, and vision services, for, for those who um, might be um, experiencing later onset of um, blindness, it really, you know, just helps folks not be so afraid. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, we, um, I think there's still such a cultural bias, um, dominant cultural bias that blindness means the end. And, um, you know, the end of whatever our life was. And, um, and folks often can move into depression, um, social isolation. And 
So we always encourage folks, when you get that initial diagnosis from your eye care professional of macular degeneration or retinopathy or glaucoma, you know, continue your treatment with them, absolutely, and come see us because both things can exist. You know, you can do your treatment, um, but you can also continue to live your life and not just wait till you know, maybe something really miraculous happens with your treatment. So come learn how you can continue reading. Come learn how you can continue cooking. Come learn how you can continue knitting. Come learn how you can stay in the workforce. Um, Because so often folks leave the workforce assuming that they can no longer manage it. Now, also at the website, you can... um get these legislative briefing documents and a big part of your work is advocacy and these are really um, I think really helpful and important Um, and so I just wanted to talk to you about some of these Um, I know transportation is a is a Mm -hmm. actually something really close to your heart too right it is yep for folks with vision loss um, some folks hang on to their driver's license past the stage of being safe drivers because When you are a non-driver, everything in your world revolves around how am I going to get from here to there. You no longer or you don't have the convenience of jumping into your car, running to the grocery, jumping in your car, running to work. Oh, I can stay and have a little bit more coffee before, you know, and then get there. You know, everything has to be pre-planned and have plan A, B, C, and D to, you know, to when one thing falls apart. So um, it is really an issue that impacts our work lives, our family lives, our community lives, access to health care, access to, you know, community services. Um, so transportation is often at the center of our advocacy work, um, both at the local level, you know, doing pedestrian safety and working on mass transit and microtransit issues, at the state level, looking at um, policy and funding changes, and at the federal level as well, um, you know, on some of those same themes. And, you know, to um, increase um, funding uh, for specialized transit or just mass transit and paratransit Uh, generally, um, all the way to pedestrian signals and customer service um, Mm -hmm. um, centers. So it's it's a really helpful um, legislative briefing guide. And then I'm going to jump to pedestrian safety because I think they go together. They do. That's, you know, a, a critical issue. It is a critical issue. And, you know, one of the things as you were summarizing the transportation work is what we know, it's called, often called the curb cut effect, you know, that when we build our environment or our services to benefit one particular population, then other folks benefit as well. And the pedestrian safety environment is such a great example of that. You know, a number of years ago, um, I advocated with the city to get an accessible pedestrian signal right outside our office on Williamson Street. And it's a rapidly flashing beacon, so, you know, there's not a stop-and-go light there, but when, when that signal is deployed, a flashing light um, it, it signals for drivers that someone is attempting to cross. And um, and cars are, cars, vehicles are supposed to yield. They don't always, but they're supposed to yield to that flashing light. And there's an audit, auditory component of that. We like there's a locator beacon, so it beeps, so um, we know where the button is. And then when you hit it, it tells you that the walk light is on um, to cross. 
and it does it in Spanish and English. And so those features are really helpful for those of us with limited vision, but I cannot tell you the number of neighborhood folks who express gratitude for that signal being there because Williamson Street is a difficult one to cross. People speed and there's lots of traffic going on. So, yeah, so, you know, do one thing for one group and then see the ripple effect. Now, um, looking, these are really helpful. I direct you to to all of these legislative briefings. They're so so good, Denise, um, Jess. So is it now, is it still the case that um, um, assistive... Um, technology is or adaptive equipment um, is not covered by insurance because it's not durable medical equipment. Is that still true? Bing, bingo. It's still true. It's still a head banging against the wall. <laughs> yes. Frustration for us. So it's not covered under insurance, not covered under Medicaid, not covered under Medicare. So it is work that we continue to advocate on. Um, I serve on a national board, and that's one of our priorities is doing some, um, you know, continued national um, advocacy to have it covered under Medicare. And we know that if we can get it covered under Medicare, we'll see positive, um, you know, influence on Medicaid and um, private insurance. But, yeah, it is not covered which is why you know we're so grateful to our many donors because we can get really critical equipment into the hands of um, folks through those donations. But I'd much rather see you know a, a sustainable um, commitment for getting equipment into people's hands. Now the the, the issue about identification cards and then also how they relate mm-hmm. to voting and then yeah. how that and then also accessible absentee voting can you just talk about that whole ball of wax <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole ball of wax that's right yeah. so um you know in uh, in wisconsin and uh, you have to have an id for voting and um there's a handful of things that are permissible um and the photo id is one of them um, but before i talk about voting i just want to call out an issue that we are now bringing to light um, that the photo ID, um, as we move more and more to a digital world and you want to do things like maybe get a, um, a replacement social security card or other online business, a lot of the, the Wisconsin statute requires that any record, digital records transmission from the DMV to any other state or federal agency is only permissible to do a driver's license. So all of us with photo IDs can't do the simple online business of ordering a a replacement social security card, as an example. So that's a statute that we really need to see change because then we're back to the transportation loop. Now I need to go to the Social Security Administration office. I need to wait in line. I need to, you know, get the card physically where someone with a driver's license has the, the privilege of being able to do that piece online. So that's our next legislative session. That's going to be um, one of our priorities. Um, but we also have limitations in being able to get to the DMV based on locations and transportation to them, hours of operation. So even getting an ID card into your hand is, is challenging. 
Every other ID renewal cycle we can do online, which is great. So, you know, really only have to go into the DMV every 16 years to get a card. So that's helpful. Um, But without that card, you do not get the opportunity to vote. So um, there are folks who struggle to get that ID, and then they lose their um, basic right to vote because of logistical issues. And and folks would have to vote with that ink pen on the ballot, and you can't really confirm your ballot then, right? No. Uh-uh. So accessible, though being able to vote privately and independently and accessibly absentee in the state of Wisconsin is not possible. It, it, it is literally impossible. The ballot is mailed to you. It is in about eight-point font. Um, so even if you have functional vision, you might not be able to see it very well. Um, and then it has to be marked. So if, when I voted absentee during the pandemic, um, I had to have a family member read me the ballot. And then I would tell them what I wanted marked. And because I can't see that ballot, I had to trust that they were reading me all the questions, that they were reading me all the candidates, and that they were marking the ballot according to my wishes. And there are people in this state who don't have family members or people they can trust. You know, some people even experience fear that the ballot will be marked directly against their wishes. Um, or they don't have, you know, a close person who um, can do that for them. So it is part of we've been trying to do this work legislatively um, because we know that's always better. Um, but we have not gotten traction on it in our state legislature, which is incredibly disappointing. So, you know, we're at a point of needing to potentially pursue, um, you know, other means for getting this done because it, it is a discrimination Denise, um, are there any upcoming events that I need to make sure I announce this morning? Um, Denise, oh, Jess, yeah. yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. We do um, a, a birding by ear yes. um, class, and we do that in partnership with um, the South with Southern Wisconsin Bird Alliance. I'm making sure I get their name right. They're the former um, with Madison Audubon um, with their former name. And um, we're also do, uh, bringing in a new partner, the Aldo Leopold Nature Center. And it'll be a, a morning event on May 4th. Um, you need to register for it. And it'll be a classroom portion of really learning the skills and techniques for identifying birds um, through their song and call. Um, and you know, even sighted birders um, say that they really love this skill yes, because yes. You can hear them better than you can see them. And so it's a class for birders of all ages, all abilities, all skill levels. And um, and then we'll have a field experience out on the, the grounds of Elder Leopold Nature Center. Um, folks that would prefer can do a sit for that time period and notice what happens in the environment in a stationary way a short walk or a longer walk, and then we'll come back and share, you know, what we discovered while we were out in the field. So, um, and there'll be a hybrid version of the class as well. So folks that can't um, or might be out state further can join. So I'm super excited. It's a revamp of a program that we've been running for um, 
um, about six years. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Hey, Denise Jess is the executive director of the Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired. If folks want more information um, about your organization and what we've been talking about this morning or more, what's the best way to reach you? Let's see. We are kind of everywhere. So you can visit our website at wcblind, that's wcblind.org, O-R-G. Um, and you can look at, you know, newsletter articles and come upcoming events, um, check out our vision services, you know, shop our Sharper Vision store. So that's a really great one-stop, um, one-stop shop. Um, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn and um um, Instagram, um, so you can find us there, you know, by searching Wisconsin Council of Blind and Visually Impaired. Um, and um, we, you can sign up for our newsletters, which come out every Monday. Um, and, and all of our materials are in accessible format, um, so that really everyone can be able to access them. Thank you. Uh, De- uh, the Denise Jess, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, and they are a member agency of Community Shares Wisconsin. Hey, it was great to have you on this morning, Denise. Oh, um, Dan, I'm take care. so grateful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.